Hi, Tim Kask here. Faced with a TPK and have no idea what to do? Well, you might have, had you listened to Save or Die. You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with golden jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or die! Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hawking zombies and bows, and on your troll, don't slow Here we are, once again, episode 79, Save or Die Podcast. Woohoo! Dun, dun, dun. First episode for the fall, I guess. Is it? Yeah, I think it's technically fall now. Oh. It's official. The, uh, or autumn for our friends across the pond. The autumnal equinox has passed. Yep. The atomic equinox? Yes. I, oh, that would I'd be, go to that. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, that, would be, that would be such a cool MacGuffin for a, for a <laughs> role-playing plot. Dude, that's gold. We've got to do, be, do it before the autumn, what do we say? The, the atomic equinox. That is going straight in my game next week. Yeah, I was about to say, that sounds very uh, Gamma World-ish. Actually, it sounds like a cool con name. Atomic yeah, Equinox. The Atomic oh, Equinox. You know, I, I could, we could probably build a whole pulp campaign around that. Well, you know, one of the requests we've had is to build a is to build an adventure on the on the episode or talk about sandboxes. So, ah. save that back. Anyway, as usual, this is DM Mike, and with me is DM Glenn. Hi, DM Jim. I'm so- the fun one. Glad to meet you. <laughs> and DM Liz. I'm not doing a goofy voice. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> You're still mad about the angry Smurf thing, aren't you? Hi, I'm Liz. Hi, <laughs> I'm <Yes>. Mark. <laughs> that would be Liz doing Vince, doing, uh, doing the Liz voice. That's right. That's how good a voice actress I am. <laughs> I'm pretending <laughs> to be Vince, pretending to be me. Ha, 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 ha. You've made uh-huh. one of the classic blunders, like never engage in a land war in Southeast Asia. <laughs> <laughs> or Asia in general, but anyway. She fell right, in, she fell right into my trap. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this episode, we're going to be talking about alignments, how we use them, how we view them, how they affect our games and our monsters. But first, what have we been done, doing in gaming this week? DM Jim. Oh, hey, um, I can't remember if we've done an episode since the last time we all gamed together, but that was fun. And uh, this past Saturday, uh, I've, I've sort of changed sides. I'm not playing as much in Dungeon Crawl Classics. I'm running a game. And uh, Saturday we had one of those, and uh, it's a playtest of some stuff I'm writing, and it went really, really great. Um, the only difference from the first playtest session was uh, apparently there's one of the players who was there uh, party leader is uh, more of a linchpin than we thought because his car broke down and he didn't make it. And uh, I had to institute the Jim Ward judges protocol, which is if you say it out loud, your character does it. So after that, about six or eight player characters died. Woohoo! But know, that made you happy. Firing into melee, splitting the party, all the classic blunders. 
But, no, but, it, was, but to, it was great. We had fun doing it. You know, somebody ought to sell little um, stickers of, you know, uh, of kind of like the international symbol for a player character, and you could stick them on your DM screen, like you know, fighters in World War Two. With what, for for kills. Yeah, 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 that would be cool. We were we were actually discussing uh, online the other day, but amongst us GMs, uh, what was our particular method of uh, after a character dies? What do you do? Like uh, my buddy Joe likes to rip them in half, and I've already developed one and didn't even realize it till they were talking about it, where I just kind of bow my head behind the screen and hold one hand out up, palm up, just go here, <laughs> <laughs> give me your sheet. So that's cool. it. What no, about you, Glenn? Oh crap. Um that's what I've been doing. No. Um bought some stuff. Um got into a nice uh, Saturday game. But anyway, uh let's see. What did I get? Oh, just various and sundry things. Uh oh, I got the thirtieth anniversary Call of Cthulhu book. Mm-hmm. The one with the nice, nice binding and the gold on it. That Sandy Come to the next one, please. I'd like you to sign it. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening, and he's not. But, uh, and a few other odds and ends, some champion stuff. I had a great uh, Labyrinth Lord game Saturday, which was a lot of fun. Um, he's switched to Labyrinth Lord because uh, Matt says he put out the Mines of Valdhum, and he realized it's easier to deal with the copyright and the OGL and all the stuff if you're writing it for Labyrinth Lord. Right. Yeah. So now we're Very running Labyrinth. Uh, he's also brought some of the advanced edition companion in there. So we have a choice of either get a race, have a race class or a races class. Hmm. And so I chose a known races class just to keep going with that to see how the, we're still we're still kind of like play testing the gnome. You chose. So is this you, a second gnome from the, from yeah, the one this, that got killed? Yes, this is his cousin. Ah, OK. This is his cousin, Eustace. Um, who was like a who's like a 180 <laughs> from him? He's very so he's kind of like Paul Rugg from the Hillbilly Bears. Um, Dude, um, I love over here and shoot him with this thing. And he's an illusionist. Glenn, okay. you're, you're the, you and I are the only ones old enough to remember the, those guys. Oh yeah, <laughs> Paul Rugg, or or here's another one, Paul Darlin from the Andy Griffith Show. Um, Denver Pyle, uh, you younger person, people at uh, Dukes of Hazard, Uncle, Uncle, what's his name? Jesse. Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse. Yes. <laughs> Every, everybody stand back. Glenn's acting. <laughs> I am. No, that's not until later. Uh, <laughs> stand back. I'm going to try acting. <laughs> oh my God. That's from something I think. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, oh, and I bought for 10 bucks at half price books, the palladium game. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. And I brought that to the game and showed it to the guys. And like I said on the other show, it was like I brought in a bevy of Hooter Girls. (laughs) Oh, my God. You got that. We got to run. You got to run this. You got to run this. Oh, this is a great game. And it's like, guys, I'm really busy. I don't have time to run this. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was just here to taunt and tease you with it. Yes, that's right. This is such a cool game, and they start flipping through. Yeah, I used to play this all the time. You know how you know how yeah. gamers get a, get a Woody over old games, that kind of thing. You know. Well, that one's kind of rare and hard to find. Yeah, it was. It's funny. At one time, I had a copy, and I went to sell it, and they wouldn't take it because they already had ten copies on the shelf. Nobody was buying them. Not anymore. Hey, Liz. Hmm. 
Isle of Dread. Yeah. There's <laughs> one time at Recycle Books, they literally had 25 copies of Isle of Dread. Wow. Not anymore, but yeah, they're this all was gone maybe 10 now, years but... ago. <laughs> wow. You guys have been married a long time. You did that very well. Uh, that's, a, that's a very old running joke between us. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Vault of the Drow. Those yeah, that, that was another one they had a lot of. And, you know, we'd be flipping through the, the modules to see what they had. And we'd keep running into Isle of Dread, Isle of Dread, Isle of Dread. And <laughs> it got to the point where every time we hit an Isle of Dread, we'd start intoning Isle of Dread. Dread. And now I can't even say Isle of Dread anymore without wanting to say it like Isle of Dread. <laughs> what's that? What, what's that one module? I think it's for Advanced. Uh, the House. Well, say the House of the Dread Blood. No, that's a movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the the one where it's supposed to be haunted, but it isn't because it's a back for thieves and uh, all. Secret stuff. of Bone. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> secret. Of, yeah, yeah. Sinister it's, Secret of Salt Marsh. Thank you. Sinister Secret Fault March. My Half Price Books has a copy of that, and they're wondering why it doesn't sell when it's priced at twenty bucks. (laughs) Yeah, there. I I I know why. Yeah, me too. Twenty bucks. That's why. I mean, every time I go in, I don't have that one. No, I don't want that one. (laughs) Not until it's five bucks. We have a Half Price Books here in town. There's like four or five of them. There's a specific one that we all go to. Uh, DM Matt from Roll for Initiative is the one that hipped me to it because one of the buyers is a gamer. So that's the one to go to for old game stuff, which is great. The problem with it is stuff like sure? this. I'm in there yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and there's the Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG book, the, the one that's like a phone book. And I'm like, sweet, like the one get- snag, pick it up, thirty nine ninety nine. Rare, it says in a price tag. I'm like, <laughs> is he throwing them all in the collectible area? <laughs> well, he just knows it's out of print temporarily. Well, that's the it. thing. That's the downside of having a gamer work there. Either that, or he'll snag it for himself. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's been the problem with some Doctor Who stuff at Recycle Books. We know there's a guy there who's a big Doctor Who fan. So pretty much any time Doctor Who uh, DVDs come in, they disappear very before they even get out on the shelf. Yeah. This episode's and obligatory Doctor Who reference was brought to you by Mike from Recycle Books. And me and Mike. Anyway, and the last thing is I got cast in a show, so my attendance at Save or Die and Thank Goes Hammer will be kind of spotty. Glenn. Next few months. Glenn. Yep. Were you cast in a show? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats on that, by the way. Why, thank you. We're do- I'm doing a Christmas carol again. I haven't done it in like 15, 20 years. So, yay! Well, I love Christmas. Let me know if I'm stepping on your toes here, Liz, but really, we haven't done hardly any gaming the past couple of weeks. This is true. Because we've been rushing around back and forth to Tyler doing faculty stuff and her classes for 3D design, etc., has really been. Biting into our, and we're not going to have any this weekend either. Yeah. The only gaming that I've been able to do, and that just barely, has been logging on to Kevin's play-by-post game and do a little bit here and there. But that's been real spotty as well. Yeah. Well, I In think fact, it's, it's, Angry Monk's basic expert game, I which just, should have been done tonight, but we're just recording about to say. the episode Yep. He graciously allowed us to bump the game so we could get our schedules lined up for this. Thank you, sir. Uh, we, yes. yeah, we put a gun to his Thank head. you. Thank you, Angry Monk. We suck. Thanks, dude. 
the, the and not only was he good enough to do that, he submitted a basic impressions, which we'll be listening to later. Ah, good. But first, do we have any emails? Yes, we do. We've got a not a whole lot of emails this episode, but we do have a few. Cool. And our first email, if everyone's ready for it, is I'm from... Ready. I'm ready to see you get through this paragraph and enunciate it. That's what I'm ready for. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> our first email is from Gary Benson. And Gary writes, Hey, hey Gary. all. I am a very inexperienced role player, having mostly run one-player fudge games for my brother, or playing my characters. <laughs> this is what you're talking about, isn't it, Jim? Yeah. True Calls, The Magic Robot, and Mr. Tot, The Karate-Wielding Potato, in my brother's goofy, anachronistic homebrew system, Find the Borage. I like the Karate-Potato concept. That is super cool. Um, Anyway, back to the letter. He goes on to say, Anyway, I'm really interested in old-school gaming and have lately been listening to your podcast and reading through the Retro Clones. Labyrinth Lord talks about running Labyrinth Exploration in turns, representing 10 minutes of in-game time. However, I cannot find a single reference to anyone actually running the game this way. How do you folks use turns? If you don't use them, how do you track time, and how do you decide when to roll for wandering monsters? Thanks, and keep it up. Farm Code Gary. Thanks, Gary. You want to take this, Liz? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm I'm still just enthusing over the karate wielding potato. Um, <laughs> okay. Jim, uh, turns don't come into play in any of our games ex- except uh, typically in uh, terms of spell duration. Uh, not just because I play magic users, but just in general, because most combats don't last a turn. I mean, if a combat lasts a turn, now you're in you're like fighting armies or something. So uh, outside of, uh, you know, 10 rounds in, a, in an extraordinarily long combat, uh, the part of his question, like, how do you measure time in the dungeon? I've always just hot-dogged that, you know. If the players had got up that morning, dorked around, had a combat, had another combat, okay, it's probably about lunchtime. Mm-hmm. Glenn? Me too. Yeah. What he said. About the only time I really paid intense attention to turns is, like you say, during combat, when the rounds start to add up. And Wandering Monsters, I kind of base that on, you know, whenever I think 10 to 15 minutes in quote-unquote game time have gone by, I'll give a Wandering Monster roll. But often, I don't know if it's because of my players or what, but they usually make enough noise well before I have to track the time for me to go ahead and give a wandering monster roll. Well, good for them. Good for you, actually. Yeah, yeah, not good for them, except for EP, I suppose. I will mention that if you uh, wish to be very exact about this and you're the DM running the game, uh, the Sparks Brothers at Faster Monkey Games make a thing called a turn tracker that's basically a spin dial broken yes. into turns. Full yes, dis- and full and disclosure, my- uh, it's got some wonky art on it that was done by somebody on this podcast. But I mean, and it's got. <laughs> yes. it's- hey, <laughs> how dare you! And it's like my a little clock. Fantastic! It's like a little clock face, and you put the pointer to as turn as rounds and turns go by, and you can track uh, fuel oil well, and let uh, me lanterns, tell you, torches, yeah. and wandering monsters. Let me tell you, Jim. Jim Matt Odinist got him one of those, and he uses it in the game. My Saturday 
Yes, he well, does. Cool. He's very he's kind of a stickler on realism so far as it goes. And keep verisimilitude, I think. Yes, verisimilitude, thank you. And he's very like keeping track of turns. He's always keeping track of turns. Uh, I don't often keep track of turns either. Um, usually it's only really, really important either when combat is going on or if you have something that is time sensitive in your adventure. Uh-huh. You know, if the character, if your player characters do not do X in a certain amount of time, then Y is going to happen, and they have to deal with consequences in that. Why? Um, but why? Because we like you. <laughs> because we like you. <laughs> um, so yeah, normally you don't have to, you know, track your turns militantly unless you just genuinely want to. In which case, you can use a turn tracker. Um, Sometimes you can say to your players, you know, well, I want to search for a secret door over here on this wall. And you can say, well, okay, if you want to search that entire section of wall, that's going to take you one turn, you know, 10 minutes to do a thorough check. Right. You know, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't mention that. But, yeah, especially when people are, are searching for traps or secret doors, that can be a, a turn eater right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, certain certain things that your party says they're going to do, you know, you can decide, you know, that's going to take you guys, you know, a full turn to do this. And that can help you keep track of time as well. We need to get our dead comrade mm-hmm. raised from the dead. How long does that spell take to cast? One turn. Oscar him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just use him as a door opener. <laughs> or a door, door stop. stop. Or a door stop, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, that hope that helps, Gary. I guess yeah. the one Thanks thing for, that seems to be Gary. relatively uniform with all of us is uh, wing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, our second email is from longtime friend of the show, Montana Squires. Montana, Montana. and Mr. Mon- Gunthrower. Hi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's never going to live that down. The invisible no. gunslinger. Yes. <laughs> Literal. Literally. No, yeah. This must we be from before I was on the show. Yes. We got we gotta have him on the show sometime. Um so it we- was yeah, it was one of the North Texas cons and I was not part of this game, but Vince was running a was Mar- it Marvel Superheroes? Marvel Superheroes, yeah. Yeah. And Glenn and Mike and Montana were all playing together and they had some really wacky characters i was at the artists um panel during that time so i was not part of we the used marvel superheroes random power generator oh and wow <laughs> that was fun wow so a little, a little villains and vigilantes action built into your marvel superheroes yeah yeah it was very similar yeah well it works out that way if you want to do it that way <laughs> but yeah, with Mike's Mike's ancient uh, mech operator and and uh, Montana's gun throwing, uh, not shooting, throwing hero. He did more damage by throwing his pistol than shooting it. <laughs> he threw it right through a supervillain's head and killed him. That probably should have come up in playtest somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, to anyway, the, uh, okay. to the email. Montana writes. Names are always something I have struggled with as a DM. 
and often I have been stuck on the spot where I need a name for an improvised NPC or monster that the players have deemed important. In the past, my typical response to the situation has caused the game to stop for several minutes while I take a bathroom break and Google a quick baby name list. Good idea, Lord. (laughs) How do you guys... It's the demon prince, Whitney. (laughs) Beyonce. (laughs) Um, How do you guys come up with names on the fly and in downtime? Thanks, Montana S. Oh, I just fill my my mouth with marbles and say, it's the demon. (laughs) No, Glenn comes up with random name generator tables. (laughs) <laughs> that Thorcammer uses on us later. <laughs> no, yes, yes you can use a have... random name generator table. You no, might even want to use Glenn's, but Glenn... maybe you might not. <laughs> I, I'm about to lose all faith in humanity. Glenn, your names are always great. Are you generating those on a table? Hell no. I thought it Hell was you. Hell no. It is me. I came up with two documents, 101 Names and 101 Names Part 2, which are on osrgaming.org somewhere in there. Oh, but you created them. I, yeah. Yes, I sat there and created them. Okay, thank you for and you can tell my faith in humanity. <laughs> Hell, I didn't know I was going to cause you a psychological breakdown. <laughs> no, just your yes. names are always I great. almost had one with the barmaid slash succubus named Skunky. <laughs> <laughs> that was off my list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Skunky, really? I handed it to Thorky. I said, go crazy. And he did. And he did. He really did. Well, let's, let's help Montana. What if you're not a super naming genius like Glenn? Get a phone book. Internet. Or do the Frank Baum thing. Um, just take a random name off of something, whether it's a an appliance or you know, like like he came up with Oz from a filing cabinet that said you know zero to Z, L A through N and O through Z. I, I did that, and I didn't even realize it. I I was bad in the early days for just snatching something up from nearby, and that's how I ended up playing Flavin, son of Ribo. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Well, well when well, I, I have had... time, I'll use the Gary Gygax book of names, Extraordinary Book of Names. Uh-huh. If I a... don't have time, usually what I will try to do is have like a little post-it note behind my screen, and I'll have a couple of male and female names just already jotted down. So if I need it, I can just grab one. Ah. And then I don't have to go, uh, 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 her name is Beyonce. Well, you know? <laughs> well, to tell you the truth, Jim, I do, I've used name generator, you know, books before, but if it's a, I have one up there, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's all broken down by parts of the world, different cultures. And yeah, Gary's I'm, book does that. Unfortunately, yeah. it's out of print. Yeah, but I've uh, I've taken I find the most unusual ones for every region and use those. That's how I came up with the Norwegian fighter Junka Saka. <laughs> what, was, what, was Another, name, what was the name of your gnome that just died? Because that was an awesome name. Uh, Horace P. Garbin of Suter Swamp. There you go. See, there's a name. And his cousin Eustace. Another way of doing it is to take quote-unquote normal names and use and do the pig latin thing on them 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, I was going to say that. Or backwards, like Jim Ward and Dromage. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, my name backwards is not as cool. Repma Zmidge. <laughs> Zagig. My yeah. Very, my very first D&D character, AD&D character, any, first role-playing character was named Nelg. Nelg the Wizard, which is Glenn spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that worked for me for the time. Yeah. In case you don't know the Pig Latin way, it's to take a two-syllable word and switch their places. And put A-Y in there. Yeah, and put A at the end. Yeah. yeah. Umpche. Boy, are you an umpche. Yeah. Beyonce. 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 Anyway, MJ, Eichel May, you know. Yeah. Don't know if that'll help, but it's a good one for on the fly to come up with a name that doesn't sound totally. Also, also if you're looking for a name, look in your spam folder on your on your computer. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, there's yeah. plenty of weird names in there. Yeah, that Nigerian prince that needs the help, he would make an excellent chaotic evil demon. Oh, but he's so I, nice. He's clearly a victim. A oh, lawful yeah, evil then. Okay, you got me. He's so nice. He's he's going to send me a million dollars just by and all I had to do was give him my checking account number. That's right. That was great of him. Yeah. Well, we got a funny name. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if that'll help, Montana, but that's our suggestions. <laughs> Live with it. <laughs> we do. Yeah. <laughs> We're stuck with him. Mm. <laughs> All right. And our final email is from Scott Lynch. Uh-huh. Hey, Scott. And Scott writes, Hi, I was listening to the Save or Die podcast number 71. You guys referred to the two most useless PC classes, the assassin and the monk. I knew we'd get mail. I knew this would get us mail. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, I'm not part of this. (laughs) I can't understand this. Both were very useful in my games, especially when you want to have something new after using the basic ones to death. I've always known the most useless classes of all time is, slash, are, bard, and druid. (laughs) Well, we covered the druid earlier, but... (laughs) Also, now he writes caltrop spells, but we're thinking that this is supposed to be cantrip, so I'm going to... I'm going to act like this is supposed to be cantrip. And, Scott, if I'm wrong, write us back, let me know. He could could Uh, have written that and... uh, Got it autocorrected to Caltrop. Yeah. yeah. Auto- autocorrect will do that. So, anyway. Could have been Claptrap. And we all know what happens when we assume, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, um, cantrip spells were so useless, no one ever bothered to waste character creation time by using them at all. <laughs> if the subject ever came up, only once in my life, we just gave them to magic users for free. The only one I found useful was called Sunlight, that made a beam of sunlight as if it came through a window. Big whoopee. But we used it to great effect against vampires, which I'm sure Gary Gygax would instantly forbid, like he did to anything a creative player thought of. But he sucks, and we never listened to anything he said, ever. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, my. You well, know what? Hey, so, I, this, this is a first. Discuss. Hey, <laughs> this is a fir- We have a first here. A podcast troll. 
<laughs> well, wow. we don't know that. He he could be entirely sincere. And, no. and in fact, his mention of the two classes that we have found relatively, and I know, don't know if I would have said completely useless so much as just so specific that they're not of much help in a campaign. He's done a lot with them. Well, conversely, you're, you know, Scott's found uh, cantrips useless, but in my campaigns, I've had players that did very good things with them. There you go. Well, I mean, you know, it's, here's, here's the way I'd like to approach this. I mean, you can't argue what I like and what you don't like is, is right. I mean, because I like what I like and you like what you like. So you can't argue that. And we've all, we always say if you guys are doing it in your table and you're having fun, then you're doing it right, right? Yeah. Right. What, what, what you can debate is mm-hmm. game mechanics whether something functions well in a game mechanically or not. I mean, obviously, if you were to create a character class that was way overpowered, it breaks the game because whoever runs that character gets to do everything and the other character classes suffer. So you can discuss that back and forth. And I think that's where we were coming from with the Assassin and the Monk. Those those two classes do not, uh, well, in the case of the Assassin, it does not encourage uh, cohesive group play necessarily. Mm-hmm. It has, has all the problems of the thief times... He can kill you, and uh, the, <laughs> and the monk. Yeah. The monk rules have always been kind of screwy. Well, yeah, yeah, but they're a lot more playable than the bard. Which, well, well, it depends on which bard are you talking about, too. Yeah, I mean, you're talking That's about the right. strategic review bard, or are you talking about the AD and D bard? Which we really shouldn't be discussing on the show because, sorry, well, Liz, Taco. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not RFI, and it would make our head explode. So, <laughs> and, and um, a, th- a third dimension would be we if talk tended to talk like in the case of the druid. At least I espoused the opinion that that was just a character class that seemed to attract bad players. That's different from saying it's not a good character class because I think it's a fine character class mechanically. I I would even hazard to say that in my opinion it's more useful than the monk. I mean, especially if you spend more of your time in wilderness. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, if you have a wilderness-centric campaign, a druid can be very useful. However, I will say, I do think you're, a druid character would be of rather limited use. Not totally limited, but, you know, you know pretty, pretty darn limited if you had a city-centric campaign. Um, Which is where the assassin would... Right. Would, uh, blossom there. Yeah, and yes. I know at least my my arguments against, you know, the assassin, the druid, the monk, whatever, is that they have a very narrow focus of this is these are the instances where these classes shine. And in everything else, they're kind of eh you know. <laughs> <laughs> So they are good to play if you know that your DM is going to be running a campaign where they will be able to, you know, strut their stuff. At least but, occasionally. Yeah, once, they, once you get them out of their element, though, then they start to flounder. Yep. I, I would like to put an idea in Scott Lynch's uh, brain, too, because uh, the, the thing where he talks about as soon as a character, uh, character player creates something great, uh, Gary Gagax would instantly forbid it. 
I think maybe you're missing some of the fun of the game if you don't understand that the whole part of the whole game is as a player coming up with an ultra creative solution that your particular DM hasn't thought of and surprising him with it. And then a good DM will say, well done, give you a reward, and then instantly plug the hole in the game so it never works again. And then you start the game over again. I have I have enormous amounts of fun out of playing that way. Yeah. And well, granted, Liz and I didn't play a whole lot with Gary Gygax, and it was later in his life, but I never got that vibe from him. But then I separate Gary Gygax, the DM, from Gary Gygax, the executive of TSR Incorporated. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, as I constantly talk about the thing where Gary himself on in Dragon and such, always a, a completely different game, AD&D and basic. And, of course, we know that's not the case, but as the head of a company whose main bread and butter were the AD&D books, well, He's going to be forgiven for encouraging it. But, you know, maybe Scott actually played at his table. We don't know, you know? Uh-huh. I think the cantrip um, spell part of the question is really interesting, too, because because we because it's kind of the, the situation reverse. We started so early that when whatever edition that was, cantrips, was it three or two? Uh. 1.5, actually. Yeah, they put Unearthed out Arcana. The Unearthed Arcana, right. Okay, well, that's... That's as good a starting place as any. You know, when those books started coming out, we would just tend to look at stuff like that and go, nah, you know, and just not bother with it. So we kind of had a prejudice against it. But um, if you told me, well, Mike, I, did you, you guys have a big time with them, and I sat and played your table, I'd, I'd, I'd suddenly become game and go, okay, well, let's give it a try and see. Well, yeah. you know, I, I have no problem with the, he says, you know, the ad hoc way they did it. You know, just give it to him because that's probably what I'd do. You know, it's nice there's a system there, and I'm glad they thought of it. And it was kind of a nagging thing in my head saying, why can't wizards just throw off little magics like they do in the movies? And this is kind of a way to solve it. But then again, the DM can just go, you want to light the candle with your finger? Go ahead. Sure. Poof. No energy at all. Go. You're not losing anything. Or something like that. I'd say something else, but I tend to quip and make jokes too much, so I won't do that. But I understand, <laughs> right? AA. Okay, let's go on. Anyway, I hope that uh, AA referring to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the person AA Alcoholics Anonymous. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, and, Think, something, I, and something about a rolling donut. So go ahead. Thanks for the email, Scott. Hope we gave you something further to think about. Thanks for triggering your seizure in Glenn. Please feel free to write us again, especially if you did mean Caltrop, and I totally screwed up the whole point of the second half of your email. (laughs) Okay, those are our emails for this episode. And if you want to write the show, where would you write them, Glenn? Uh, Save or die podcast at gmail.com. Robot Glenn. Robot Glenn. And speaking of robots, if you want to leave a voicemail, you can leave one at 903. <clears throat> oh, sorry, 940 536 3763. We've been in Tyler too long. Yeah. <laughs> Please join us on osrgaming.org where we have our forum too. And now we're going to move into our segment of basic impressions, though we'll have a few announcements first. And this one was sent to us by our basic expert DM, the Angry Monk. After these words from our sponsor. 
or someone anyway. Yeah. So you guys are in the Misty Mug. What are you doing? I am buying a Bloody Mermaid. A blind, as always. Sunshine comes out from the back. She actually needs some help with the problem. What problem? There's rats in the cellar. Oh, God. Giant rats, I presume. I don't know. Do you want to go check it out? So you guys make your way down into the cellar. Sure enough, amongst the crates and barrels, there are nine giant rats. Remember the last time we fought giant rats? They nearly killed us. In the nest of the giant rats is 2,000 copper pieces. Hmm. 20 gold. One's copper. It's 2,000. <laughs> we came here to help Sunshine with their problem. We had to fight the giant rats. Initiative. Good. Check out the Delvers podcast at burnedfx.com. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone, but which I would be willing to share with you. To do then now would be retro. To do then then yeah. was very nautro, yeah. if you will. It's coming. What? The idea, the spark. I got it, I got it. Basic impressions. Hello, Sodcasters. This is uh, the Angry Monk calling in with a... Uh, review of a book that I've had for quite a while, uh, and I thought it would maybe be a good companion piece for those of uh, your listeners that had read John Peterson's Playing at the World, or were maybe a little intimidated by the length of that book. Uh, The book is called What is Dungeons and Dragons? And the authors are John Butterfield, Philip Parker, and David, I think it's Hogneman, uh, the, the book, What is Dungeons and Dragons, was originally published in 1982 by Penguin Books. And it's a, uh, a short uh, paperback book about, really, just basic Dungeons and Dragons. And it sort of goes over all the different areas that would be of interest to uh, people who were maybe getting interested in the game or were wondering what it was about. And I, I, having read, reread it, um, I, I found it to be a good book as well, just for those of us that are a little bit more experienced at the game. Um, it's a nice little piece of sort of uh, nostalgia because of the time it was written, but I think there's still some good information in there. So I just I thought I'd just basically kind of go through the different chapters, give you an idea of what it's about, and um, and then you could... The listeners can decide for themselves whether they want to pick it up, see and find it. I've I've seen it around on the web, uh, still for sale on eBay and that. And, and it may I don't know if it's still probably not still in uh, being published because of the the age of it and some of the the references, which I'll get into. Anyway, it starts off with an introduction, which is just sort of brief history of the game and uh, sort of what is a little bit of what is Dungeons and Dragons and how it's different than say other games. Um, and then we get into sort of the meat of the of the book. Uh, chapter one is called "Getting Started." It goes over the basics of the game and talks about, you know, things like the different dice that are used, um, and how D and D is unlike other games. You know, you can't just sort of open up the box and start playing. That you'd have to do a little bit of reading uh, beforehand. And it talks, you know, again about how the game is different than other games because it's a role playing game. And then it jumps into chapter two, which is about uh, character generation, and it goes over the different methods for generating abilities and sort of, you know, what kind of, how how rolling 
three d6s are going to in order going to give you a different character than if you uh, roll four d6 and drop the lowest number and, and all that uh, it goes over an explanation of what the different abilities are and and you know what is intelligence what's dexterity how they're used in the game uh, it talks about races um, the authors actually provide a little uh, table for height and weight generation for for characters which i thought was kind of neat because it's you know we don't have that in the um, at least i don't it's not there in the moldvade basic rule book and it discusses the differences in alignments at length and talks about how you know again just how to think about those uh those alignments and it even gives an example of how to set up a character sheet uh chapter three talks about dungeon di- uh, design which i think is really useful for uh dms especially neophyte dms so it talks about you know creating setting for your dungeon uh how your choice of monsters affect uh, the dungeon design and you know talks a little bit about ecology but i think it's good too because it gives you you know it warns the authors sort of warn you know you don't want to be too concerned about ecology because you know that can make for a, a boring dungeon too talks about stocking dungeons with other interesting things like furniture sounds smells uh and other smaller un- uh, mundane items just to kind of keep the players on their toes talks about you know the use of traps and creating traps and using shoots and slides and those kinds of things to kind of keep your parties moving forward and how to set up a dungeon so that you know characters aren't all killed in the first room how they you know you sort of entice them to move deeper into your dungeon um it also talks about creating your own monsters and how to do that and how to maybe tweak some existing ones to uh you know give give that element of surprise to to players um and it also provides quite a, a lengthy example of a dungeon the shrine of of cold chap and it gives you a nice little map and and how it's set up and and so it's actually a little dungeon that you could probably run and it's nice that they do that because the same with character generation. They create the characters, they've given us the dungeon, and then chapter four is the adventure, which talks about, uh, it talks a little bit about it first, the experience points and wealth and, you know, why are parties going out and doing this kind of dangerous work, um, how players and DMs should interact during a game, gives you examples of that, uh, how combat and counters are handled, uh, and then... Um, the authors provide an example of a party running through the provided dungeon, the Shrine of Colchap. So the the interesting part about this is that the way it's set up in the book. So on the left-hand side of the page is sort of all the interactions between the DMs and players. And then on the right-hand page, you, it's all the stuff that's sort of going on behind the Dungeon Master's screen and explanation of rules. So it's kind of a neat way of, as you're going through that adventure, you know, they've given you that brief, you know, the DM has rolled for an encounter here, and this is why this happens. And so it's quite a, a good way. If if no one's if you haven't actually played a game or been behind a DM screen, it's kind of a, a good example of how the game is run. Chapter five is about the dungeon master, and again, good advice on how to run a game. Everything to sort of the physical setup of of gameplay. You know, how should your character, your players, be set up? around a table perhaps um how to run the adventure talks about ad-libbing um makes the emphasis on rulings not rules um how to handle pc death 
how to, uh, you know, keep track of time scale in the dungeon, and then finally how to handle players, you know, at the end of an adventure or during an adventure if they have concerns or complaints. After that, the next few chapters um, are sort of more for nostalgic purposes because um, a lot of the information is, of course, out of date. It talks about figures and other accessories, so it does give some good advice about picking out figures and how to use uh, figures and miniatures. Um, it gives you a list at the end of the book about you know where to buy these things, which of course is you know ancient history. It talks about you know use of modules and different magazines that that uh, the dungeon master and players can use or access. Um, gives you a, a nice little bit about literary influences and books that. You know, maybe the the PCs and the and the DM would like to take a look at. Uh, chapter seven is about computers and using computers, which of course is of no use to us anymore. Um, and then chapter eight is about further. It's called further complexities, and it's kind of interesting because it it goes on to explain about you know what happens after level three, um, the use of the expert rules. And then introduces uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and talks about the differences between the rules, um, which is sort of good, again, I think, for people that are unaware of the differences and, and uh, you know, do I have to use Advanced Dungeons and Dragons? And, I mean, the nice thing, I think, especially for us, those of us that like BX, um, the authors really do sort of say, you know, the expert rules are good, um, you know, because they're concise and they're easy to use over the more complex and longer uh, rule set of AD&D. Then chapter 9 is called Other Worlds. It talks a little bit about Gamma World, Traveler, On Guard, just different uh, RPGs that you know players may want to investigate at some point. And it's kind of neat to read through those things, especially if you've read uh, uh, Playing at the World by John Peterson. You know, it give, talks a little, uh, quite a bit about On Guard, which I thought was kind of interesting. At the end of the book... Uh, you get a list of mod, uh, model manufacturers or miniature manufacturers, which, as I said, is interesting but uh, of no use to it anymore. Um, there's a good bibliography if you wanted to do some follow-up reading and find some other books that might be of interest. And then finally, a glossary at the end, which you know defines all those strange um, words and things and tells you the difference between a round and a turn and, and all that stuff. So overall... Um, I think this is a great book. If you can find it, it's it's you know it's a fairly easy read. Um, it's kind of I you know to think that the three guys that wrote this were I think probably sort of in high school at the time. Uh, it has a photo of them on the back of my book, and uh, you know I think it's very well written. Um, and again, it, it gives you some good advice, even for, for those of us that have played the game for a long time and and it kind of takes you back to those days when uh, you know this game was sort of unusual and un- unknown in the uh, in the world so anyway so the book again is what is dungeons and dragons published by penguin and uh, john butterfield philip parker and dave honigman are the authors and i would highly recommend it uh, if i had to give it some dragons i would probably give it uh, i'd give it a four out of five uh, as I said, some of the information is of no use to us anymore other than just for nostalgic purposes. So I hope that's uh, interesting, and uh, I wish everyone well, and play hard.
Game on. As we said earlier, we're talking about alignments. And as players, what alignments, as far as your characters, do you tend to play? And we'll start with DM Glenn. Um, some form of good. If we're talking three alignment system, usually lawful. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking five alignment system, usually like, uh, well, I can't play neutral. Usually chaotic good. Okay. Jim? I, I have, uh, this answer has evolved for me. When I was a younger person, I played chaotic good exclusively, although I was often told I was actually playing chaotic neutral. Um, and then I ran on a long run uh, in my 20s of uh, aspiring to playing lawful good and playing that. And uh, these days I settle for neutral good. I'm really comfortable in that one. I, I, I as a human being, test out as neutral good. If well, I, if I, as if a I'm, three or five alignment system, what would you play? Uh, well, chaotic good would be in the five alignment system, right? Right, but neutral good wouldn't, yeah. Oh, man, you are busting my ass. Um, well, then, uh, then true neutral. There's a, there's a, there's a, there, because of some of the psych training I've had, there's a really well thought out, uh, alignment and profession tester on, of all places, Wizard of Coast website. And, uh, I took it recently and, uh, tested out as a fifth or seventh level, uh, neutral cleric. Is there a way to get an alignment for the company, Wizards of the Coast? <laughs> Not let's not go there. They've uh, tried for years. That, that's, that's, that's the twelve point system. They're lawful greedy. Mm. Well, in the five point system of homes, normally I like to be chaotic good. I generally like to give myself a little bit of wiggle room in what I'm going to do. Um, nine times out of ten, I will my character will want to follow the law, but there will always be sooner or later a tenth time where my character is going to feel that, you know, doing something rather vigilante-ish is purporting the the good as opposed to following the law as it stands in whatever kingdom they find themselves in. Right. So, kind of a Batman moment. Yeah, kind of a Batman moment. But, you know, if you say your character is lawful good, you know, the one time that you are not adhering to the law your GM can smack you for it. But if you're chaotic, you can be lawful whenever you want to, and it's okay because you're being unpredictable. As long as you weren't lawful too often. Yeah. If if, if you were lawful two two out of three times as a DM, I would kind of call on it. But yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, so Uh, generally I... I, I, No, Mike, no. There's a double standard there. (laughs) <laughs> if you're a lawful character and you do something crazy or break your word, DMs will typically smack you immediately. If you're a chaotic uh, character who just happens to do what they say they're going to do and keep their word or pay a debt, nobody blinks an eye. Well, we'll get to discussing the DM side of it later. But right now as players, hmm. you know, we're talking about alignments that people prefer to play. So anyway, you know that's where I am with the five point. Okay. Um, three you know points, I would sorry. be law because that is considered good, even though I disagree with the terminology, but nevertheless. Here, here, you go, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what I do with the three point system. That's not the way I play it anyway. Um, well, I would say mine would be either lawful or neutral, depending on the con 
character concept on the three alignment, I tend to be, be more lawful than neutral, but on occasion, a neutral character can be fun. Uh, the five-pointer, probably law, uh, neutral good. I'm, yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> Try that again. Chaotic good, I would Thank probably you. say, is the one to go with. Taco. Taco, exactly. <laughs> Well, you, let me you, I completely forgot. I'm, I'm playing exclusively neutral characters in Dungeon Crawl Classics with a three-point alignment system because in that game, neutral is the alignment to be. Well, you know what? Um, I've been th- I looked through that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game I get, got from Palladium, and I'm thinking of grabbing something to use in my games because they have good. They have a three-point system: good, evil, and selfish. Because. According to them, there is no such thing as true neutrality. Well, that's how I always generally play neutral in a three-point alignment, um, with the exception of if you're playing a druid and uh-huh. how, how bad your DM plays on the balancing aspect. I always viewed neutral as basically self-interested. That's why all animals tend to be neutral. I mean, right. you can't tell me most animals are worried about a perfect balance between law and chaos. No, they're, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry. Hey, you look tasty. <laughs> yeah. Well, Holmes says neutral characters are motivated by self-interest. So yeah. that's how it's, that's how it's considered to be in the Holmes Blue Book anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Um. Sometimes, though, you need that spelled out for people who think neutral and immediately think the druid idea, much yeah. like there are some people, well, lawful equals paladin. Well, not necessarily. But he's that, he's that one guy that follows the party around or whatever. Sometimes he helps them. Sometimes he hurts them. That hmm. mysterious guy, you don't exactly know what his thing is. Well, I... Liz, I appreciate what Dr. Holmes is saying there, and I agree with it in Western culture. But in Eastern culture, a Zen master would be the epitome of neutral, and I wouldn't think of that as a classic self-interest. Mm-hmm. On the third hand, the Holmes Blue Book is, in my, in my opinion, you know, it's it's rules made for people who are new to the whole thing. And so he's trying to keep it pretty simple. And if you start, you know, introducing Zen and other stuff into it, it starts to get over the head of first-time role players who've never even heard of the thing, which you're not going to find much nowadays. But back in the day, I think he was just trying to keep it simple. I am properly chastised. No argument (laughs) for me. All right. Okay. Now, which alignment have you found the hardest to play? And we'll go the other direction and start with Liz. It's hard for me to be evil. It really is. I I try I have tried to be evil um when I'm behind the DM screen and I always well, I mean as 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 playing a character. Oh, playing a character character. It's like I don't think I have ever genuinely chosen to play an evil character because I just know that I would be horrid at it and I wouldn't enjoy myself. Um, the closest I have gotten would be, you know, either neutral thieves, you know, chaotic neutral, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just very difficult for me to get 
the farther away I get from a good character, the more the more difficult it is for me to play it believably. Okay. Jim? I actually uh, was asked by my brother in our old campaign for a period of about six months to play a chaotic evil anti-paladin. And uh, through a very complex set of circumstances, he was technically the son of my main wizard's clone's marriage to a demon, something like that. Anyway, my main was off doing stuff, and he needed me to play the character for six months, and I found it very difficult. I mean, achieving – I mean, he gave me my instructions for what this character's goals are, and those were easy to do. But I kept finding myself in places where if I was really a chaotic evil anti-Palestine, here's your chance to really screw somebody over who's another player in the party. And I just couldn't ever pull the trigger on that because mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't fun to do that. Yeah. Glenn? Nothing. You have no problem playing any type of character. That's right. That doesn't mean I'm going to play every type of character. Well, I'm talking about the hardest one you've actually played. Nothing. You've never played a character that was difficult. That's right. He's an actor. Wow. I mean, so that some of that makes sense. He's an actor. I have when I go when I go to places like conventions. I have brass balls. I will walk up to a table and say, "Hand me some anything. I'll play it. I don't okay. care what alignment it is." And nine times out of ten, I hit the alignment. <laughs> or more like five times out of ten. Yeah, okay. Sometimes I'll need a little nudge from the DM, if you know what I mean. Mm. So, okay. yeah. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be arrogant or cocky or anything. It's just... I'm, I'm actually inter- genuinely interested in this, though, Glenn, because that's not something most people would be comfortable doing. Do you think that's because of your experience as an actor? Because, you, I mean, you're going to play Scrooge at Christmas. Of course it is. You're not Scrooge. Of course it's a challenge. That's what I like. Uh, of course it's because I'm an actor. It's a challenge. I like those kind of challenges. Well, let's rephrase the question then. Okay. What alignment gives you the most challenge to play? Um, this is going to sound funny, <laughs> but I can play it. But chaotic neutral is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I like playing it. Well, again, that's AD&D. Again, okay. Well, all right. Well, if you want to, I can't really go chaotic. The three, true neutral is a bit of a bitch, um, mainly because you got to think about the balance all the. If you're going to go the druid route, but um, mm. you know, you got to think about you know what what's in it for me all the time, and you know, and it's too easy to go. How can I screw my party over? But I don't. I don't do that kind of thing. But other people would. But like I said, neutral. I got to think more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I let's go with three or five point. Okay. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. I'd say... Quip, quip, joke, joke. How about you, Mike? Uh, I played Chaotic at Three Alignment System, which is one of the reasons I like the Three Alignment System, is I feel like each of the main categories gives you a bit more wiggle room. Right. But with a five, I would really have to say Chaotic Evil. Really? I mean, as a DM, it's very easy for me to play. Cha- you know, an NPC is chaotic evil, but right. as a player, particularly with you know the other characters around, you know the other players are around you. I mean, like we discussed with the assassin, it's just not conducive to party cohesion. Mm-hmm. And in the end, D and D is a group party. game, right? Um, 
Lawful Evil Every- isn't as hard to play as Chaotic Evil. I mean, Lawful Evil, you just pretend you're a newscaster on Fox News, you're done. <laughs> hey! Well, you know what? You know what? Ty, I I don't think in in terms of a line, how hard is playing alignment. I think character types are harder to play or easier to play. Well, we'll get to that next. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I, I've always viewed lawful evil as essentially Nazis. That sounds about right. Um, as the way to deal with that, particularly something like the Waffen SS or something. Well, see, we, we just said the same thing then. Oh. <laughs> wow. All comments about <laughs> Jim Wampler and Fox News should be sent directly to his email. Wow. So that makes a great segue into there are not many, but there are some classes that have limitations to what alignment can play them. How do you feel about that? And has that caused you any difficulty? I'm talking about lawful for paladins slash lawful good or, you know, druids and neutrality, so on and so forth. Um, OD&D assassins originally only had to be neutral. They didn't become, quote-unquote, evil until AD&D. Right. So I'll start this one since we're, we're doing fair here. As a player, I won't say that playing a paladin in the original version is the, the hardest, only insofar as it's the hardest because I not only have to decide what my character would do in a lawful setting, but I've got to make sure that I understand the DM's interpretation of what is lawful because – Violate alignment in the original is really rough. You know, basically, you get your powers as long as you are lawful. The moment you are not lawful, you lose everything. And who makes that decision? The DM. That's right. So it's very incumbent for you to understand what your DM expects of you. Because there's, as this conversation is showing, depending on the DM, you're going to have a different variance as to what an alignment is. And I know it's one of the things that annoy Liz, but... In the three alignment system, there it's even more of a gray area. Yeah, I you know, I think Moore's made it. I'll save it for the DM part. Never mind. Okay, Liz, I am. I'm not sure how to how to put it. On the whole, I don't have a problem with alignment limits to certain classes. Usually, I think the it makes sense. Um, I'm far more likely to roll with a class alignment limit than I am a, say, a level limit for demi-humans. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, any game that I played that had level limits for demi-humans, I would ignore that. And most everyone I know did the same thing, too. But... Class alignment limits. Usually I don't have a problem with it. Um, I do agree with you, though. You do want to make sure that you know what your DM is going to view as a, you know, a, a hot button for whatever class that you are playing. You know, well, if my character, you know, as a paladin does this, are you going to consider that evil? Um, it's... 
It, it can it can be iffy. Um, yeah. Any however, DM this salt, of course, should be willing to give that player at least one warning. Yeah. Right. And if you're familiar with your DM, if you've been playing with him or her for quite some time, chances are good you know how they're going to feel about things. But if you're joining a new group and you're not familiar with the DM, yeah, that's something you want to try and hammer down before you you know, choose a character like that. So, you know, it it can have some some things where, you know, misunderstandings can occur, but on the whole, I think that certain classes being, you know, only for certain alignments, you know, I don't have a problem with the concept. Okay. Jim? I mean, in OD&D, I have no problem with it at all. Um, my problems start with uh, basic, and then we can't talk about it. Taco, the the, the version <laughs> with an A in front of it, because the, some of them are restrictive. Paladins and uh, cleric who should just match whatever deity their god is. That all makes perfect sense to me in every version of the game. You know, uh, thieves are a little trickier. Thieves have alignment limits that are pretty strict as the game uh, advances through editions. And um, I mean, obviously, you can't be a lawful good thief, but. There, I we always just played it with bigger wiggle room for the thieves, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying. to... Is there anything as a, a true, <clears throat> true neutral? It's fine by me. Okay, hmm. Glenn. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, my problem. Well, it's not really a problem, but I'm I'm flashing back to AD and D again, so I got to put my brain back into basic. Excuse me. Okay. Um, I don't really have any problem with playing um, uh, classes as far as alignment restriction goes, because if I come up with a good character concept, yeah, I'll play that paladin. Yeah, I'll play that monk. You know, I'll take I'll take the limitations if it fits with the concept. Okay, so you've never found them particularly getting in your way. No, they don't hinder me at all. Okay, well preventing themselves from talking about it let's go ahead and move into dm fiat and we can discuss how okay. we deal with it from the other side of the screen nope sorry what uh, nope you're wrong look it up i don't have to look it up it's common knowledge nope. no 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 dm fiat Sorry, been in East Texas too long. <laughs> oh, Mike, 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 Mike. That ain't funny. Anyway. Send him to the chair. Fry him. <laughs> Shut up, Earl. Anyway, now we're going to talk about being a DM and being the fellow that has to basically adjudicate both the players and the NPCs' behavior with alignment. It's pretty hot when you say adjudicate like that, just so you know. <laughs> Hey, hey. We'll go take a My cold husband. <laughs> go take a cold shower then. No, thank you. I like girls. Anyway. Um, Don't we all? The first thing. Don't do much for me. Yeah. Well, the first thing has, and I've seen some people, some DMs, when they're advertising their campaign world and stuff, actually have a campaign alignment. And. That's something I imported into Victorious, which hopefully will is now on the docket and should be published by the end of the year. Yada, 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 yada. Um, 
is that you know some people like playing an evil campaign or a chaotic one as the case may be and or the world is like that you know the average village you come into are going to be like the children of the corn who you ain't <laughs> around here burn them and has any anybody else run into games like that where the dm is actually given a, a an alignment to their world it was not un- really it was unspoken but one of the very first uh, ad&d campaigns i played in uh, the guy it was just the guy who dm'd it was such a straight arrow you know baptist student union great guy himself that his real life alignment was lawful good and he had two groups of players he had those of us at uk and his group home group here in cincinnati and one time the two groups got together and uh, all his cincinnati players were lawful good they just uh, they had as a, as a group gestalt to decided this is the way you we play the game, and they're all heroes, and they're all knights. I mean, not literally knights, but paladins. But and uh, here comes my little chaotic fighter elf, and we played through the, <laughs> we played through the A series like that. And when we got to the end of it, uh, you know, we're naked with our swords with the big bad at the end of the Slaver series. And um, I got the guy pinned, and he said he would throw down his sword and surrender if I promised not to kill him. And I said sure, and he threw down his sword, and I whacked his head off. And <laughs> that crew just about lost their minds. When I did that. <laughs> Wow. I, I couldn't show my face in that group for a while again after that. Wow. I see, that would have been a great story in the prior episode, but anyway. <laughs> oh, sorry. But it does segue you know, into the idea. Obviously, his campaign for that group was lawful slash lawful good. So mm-hmm. He was dumbfounded. He's like, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> and you're Eat probably it. going, how is this a surprise to you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like yeah. I, my logic was simple. This guy kidnapped my wife and family. He's Ted Meat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, Glenn? What was the question? <laughs> How do I handle it from the DM's point of view? No. Have you ever been in a campaign where the DM basically advertised a an alignment for his campaign? No, I find that rather hilarious, actually. Uh, <laughs> really? Okay. Why so? Um, Just... I, you know, it's usually I can usually like in the first ten minutes peg what kind of alignment the game is. Well, naturally, it, but if yeah. you're getting ready to join a group, but I've never had anybody come out and say, "Well, we're all," you know, other than the fact that it's always been in most of my groups that the evil is the purview of the DM. Um, it's been like free for all. <laughs> well, I'm talking. I'm not talking about what alignments the players decide to take. I'm right. talking about what the world is like. Oh, for example, okay. Glenn, there's a whole campaign going on where all the player characters are vampires trying to take over the kingdom. You in? Uh, no, <laughs> me neither. But some people, yeah. Have but I, yeah. Well, I've seen like the well, like the all evil campaigns, those kind of yeah, things. Well, I, I was also talking more about a world where, for instance, the average person is going to be like children of the corn, or you know. So kind or, of maybe hatred of strangers and yeah something like Carcosa or exactly. Lamentations exactly okay. or Innsmouth uh, yeah um, I've run into occasional campaigns like that but they never advertise it's just you're in the game and all of a sudden oh surprise yeah surprise. Okay. All the, all, all the pe- you go to the town. All the people hate you. They got a job for you to do, but they don't because you're outsiders. You know, get it done and get the hell out of here, type of thing. Okay, Liz. Um, 
The closest I've ever come to being in a campaign like that would be on the occasions when we did um, Ravenloft. I'd say that's the closest to a campaign alignment yeah. that I've ever encountered. Um, yeah. I think the idea of it is fun for, you know, one-offs and stuff. I don't know that I would want to play full-time in a campaign like that always, you know? Yeah. Right. I, th- I think it's. I think it would be. You know, I had a good time in Ravenloft when we were there, but I wouldn't want to always play Ravenloft. You know. So okay. yeah, very very rarely. That's a legitimate thing. There are a lot of games to play as changes of pace, and then you go back to your main campaign. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, as long as we've got our respective DM hats on, how? chaotic or evil do you play your monsters and what i'm talking about here is you know when you're dealing with something that's chaotic slash evil do they you know if you if the monsters win a fight they're going to kill all their prisoners or if the monsters win a fight they're going to spend the next three days torturing them over an open fire with blah 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 lots of detail or does you simply play your chaotic as implacable when you're dealing for implacable? I tend to think of it in terms of um, to, to borrow from John Peterson a little bit some of his research on the playtest version of D and D before they called alignments alignments they called them divisions with same ones law chaos mm. and neutral but they're divisions so. The way I, I think about it in campaigns running them is sides. What, whose side are you on? With a lot of, I mean, this is probably not the answer you're looking for, but with like a lot of leeway inside the side. I mean, okay, you're on yeah. the side of law. You might do some underhanded stuff every once in a while, but mainly you're you're with the good guys. And okay, mm-hmm. you're chaos. You're clearly just out to rule the world and, and what we would sometimes consider evil, but basically just really selfish. Okay. Well, when you're DMing, how evil or chaotic are your monsters, for example? Uh, you know, to, to, to whatever serves whatever level su- serves the story best and the enjoyment of the players. I'm not going to go out of my way to you know grind my heels into some kind of gory realism because I know my players, you know, and I know what's fun. right. If I think it will get them up off, up off their butts and moving instead of arguing to hear that you know a, a whole tribe of orcs just completely slit the throat of every man, woman, and child the next village over. I'll definitely use that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And to a degree, yeah, you've got to, you know, cater your your level of DMing or your DMing style to a degree to your players. But yeah, but, you also, knowing but, what but their like comfort movies. No, no, is. I don't, I don't need any hard X or hard R stuff in my game to, for it to be fun. Right. Okay. Liz? It'll depend on the monster. I will tend to have certain types of monsters be more chaotic than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first saw this on the show notes, you know, I was thinking that we were going to be revisiting the whole baby orc thing again. Oh, you know, no. It's like, you know, is this question... We are now. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> are you talking about in your campaign, is it okay to kill baby orcs, or are you being evil by doing so? Do they have a chance to become something else? 
um, you know, in that regard, no, it is not evil to kill baby orcs. They, you can try to raise one from an infant, and you're almost certainly not going to have any success in that endeavor. Um, the whole nature versus nurture argument, yeah. Yeah, um, and the only thing that I would say, my monsters do have a chance to deviate is if they are a half-breed, half-orc, half half-ogre. You know, that human blood that's been introduced into them gives them the opportunity to step outside what their nature would have, you know, yep. doomed them to otherwise. Has anybody read Which is yeah. probably... So has anybody read the Knights at Dinner Table story where they talked about this exact thing? Bob got the baby orc and tried to raise him up as, a, as his adopted son? Nope. No. I was going to say, it kind of sounds familiar to me, that, but that might just be because Mead did that in our game, so I don't know. <laughs> well, besides sort of supporting your, your theory, Liz, it was just hysterically funny as Bob kept trying to you know make him be good when they were really kind of chaotic neutral party anyway, but... <laughs> not the best role model to begin with yeah, I was thinking El Ravager is like yeah well, well BA had tricked him into actually caring about the guy they had originally planned to off him at the first chance they got and then Bob sort of took on the the role the thing started reacting to him as a father figure and, and Bob wanted to be his father but it all ended in tears yeah. as and- most things usually do in, in nights they hit him with a gazebo, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. back to some of the subject, or were you still going on, Liz? Um, I was going to say, you know, getting back to what it sounds like you really are meaning, um, it does depend on the monster. Some of the monsters that I choose to use will act in a more brutal fashion than others will. Um, so I'd say... It depends on what I'm using, and like Jim said, it depends on what the story needs and what the players tend to react to. And knowing that will help me determine what monsters am I going to use, knowing which ones you know, will get the response that I tend to be looking for from the party in general. So, eh, but even at, my, even at their worst, I don't... I don't get into the really gory details of what they'll do. You know, I may say that there is torture going on, but I'm not going to go into loving detail as to what exactly is happening. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and I guess when I brought the question up, I wasn't so much looking for, you know, how much descriptive flavor text mm-hmm. you give. I, it's more just how evil, quote unquote, do you make them? And I think Jim pretty hit, pretty much hit on that with the, it. you have to, cater it to your players yeah oh how much are they going to put up with because as a dm you know you want to give enough that they are feeling outraged or indignant yeah and a sense point. of urgency yeah but it's but not, fun not if you, so much it's not fun if you trigger somebody's ptsd mm. right yeah. right and getting back though what you were talking about how you know law neutral and chaos and what like you were saying, divisions. And I think, you know, mentioned in Playing at the World, some of the inspirations for that sort of viewpoint were like uh, Moorcock's Elric series, 
three hearts and three lions. And giving something a little more modern, dare I say, Babylon 5. <laughs> Those there are is all three brilliant examples of what I meant. Yeah, I mean, there is science. law and there is chaos. Law tends to be good, evil or chaotic tends to be evil, but you can find examples of both, good and evil in each one. And that's the way you should play it, as far as I'm concerned. And that's – well, that's one of the reasons I like the three-alignment system because it gives me that freedom. That wiggle room. And yeah. I'm, all, I'm all about the storytelling, the, the consensual storytelling, not me presenting a story to the players, the consensual storytelling. I, I'm very strong on that philosophy. So with that said, I'm willing to give you enormous alignment slack if you can propose to me the, a, a very plausible reason for the action you're taking. You know, yeah. Because right. what what good's a uh, you know a Dudley Do Right hero? You you got to have heroes with self doubt who who occasionally bend and break things. Yeah. Not lawful, stupid. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, um, I mean, I will say that I'm a little harder on a lawful alignment if they're a paladin than I would be if they're any other character that's just lawful, and that's simply because the paladin gets a lot of bennies. Yeah. So they should be held to a more rigid standard. But generally, I'm the type of DM to give at least one warning. Of, are you sure you know that's going to be, you know, <laughs> what alignment are you again? <laughs> As a gentle reminder. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like the three. Is I don't feel quite so hamstrung and... Damn, no alignment spell of clerics, which can ruin <laughs> a lot of DM's days. Well, I, uh, there's another dimension of this that's interesting since we're on the DM side now, because I mean, most role playing games don't have alignments. I mean, that's that's pretty much the purview of D and D and its its kin, right? I mean, nobody in game Basically. world worries about what your their alignment are. I mean, White Wolf has nature and demeanor, but that's really more your character concept than a code of ethics. Well, here's where I'm going with this because this is actually uh, something I'm implementing in this thing that I'm writing where it's it's taken one step beyond sides. I've I've placed an alignment system where the alignment is literally a social grouping structure. You're from the clan of Cog. You believe in the brotherhood of all sentient beings. That doesn't mean you won't kill one in self-defense or something like that. You just believe in the principles of respecting anything that's self-aware. That's your alignment. Mm-hmm. So, so in ter- in terms I can go with that, yeah. And because I love our listeners, we are not going to discuss alignment languages. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> not even using alignment language. <laughs> no. Okay, maybe just a little. Has anyone ever actually used an alignment language as a DM? No. Nope. The very, very beginning I did. Mm-hmm. Nope. The very beginning, simply because it was mentioned in the rule book. And so I had all the people who gamed under me, you know, they had alignment languages. The but that you? did not last very long because – it was just really awkward. Does you know, thieves we, can't count? No. Then no. Because that's not based on your life. I, uh, I think of alignment languages kind of like that Monty Python sketch where the guy goes to report a robbery in a police station and each officer hears 
hears his either can't hear his voice unless he pitches it high or pitches it low or sings or do something like that. And they can't understand each other because each of them hears a voice in a certain way. That's what I think of when I think of alignment languages. The closest I ever talk like this because I'm not so good. I'm going to talk like this because I'm chaotic evil. You know that kind of thing. Dude, I'd have bet you a hundred dollars you couldn't do Kermit the voice as deep as Kermit the Frog as deep as your voice is, and you just did a great one. Why? Thank you. (laughs) The closest I ever got to it was in a game of fantasy war game, war games by uh, oh, what's his name. Halloway, I think. Anyway, a fantasy game, and basically that only limited to if you were a good or evil magic user. I came up with a uh, cipher of letter trans- transmutation mm-hmm. for spells, and if the character was going to cast a spell, they had to say it, and they had to say it correctly, and if they didn't, it was considered a screw-up. That campaign ended in tears. <laughs> I'm recalling I'm recalling a, a GURP Supers game where my my super mage like Doctor Strange, the GM made me speak my spells in rhyme. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, How do you I'm... handle alignment based items, though? Alignment based items? I have no problem with that. Uh, I think to me it's more of a, you know. If uh, you got a lawful good sword and a neutral evil person picks it up, they're going to get <laughs> something's going to happen. They're going to get shocked to hell or something like that. I don't. Well, the most first, shocking thing will be is that's AD and D. So you know. Well, that, that kind of lends itself to basic too, because you're going to have DMs out there with stuff like that. Well, tons well, of OD and D swords have are sentient, and if it's yeah, sentient, well, it would that, naturally have an alignment. That's yep. another issue. <laughs> sentient sentient um, objects. Well, that falls under it because by definition, unless it's simply a matter of X alignment can only wield the item, right. if it's going to have any kind of capabilities and sentience, it's got to have an alignment. Well, yeah, I understand that, but not all aligned things need sentience. Well, no. For example, poison. Poisoning right. somebody's an evil act. You don't, you know, you don't, it yeah. But the poison isn't something you can only use it if it's evil. Because if a good person tries it, it blows up in their face or anything. <laughs> Thank you for giving me a good idea. For Not normally, but that is a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the paladin touched it. Boom! It comes out this powder, you know, black face there. What happened? Oh, you see, I, I would not do that because my players would probably use that as a as a quick and dirty alignment check. Yeah. <laughs> Here, touch, Here, touch this. this. <laughs> touch this. Open this jar. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I know that's not what you Okay, meant. we don't want anything to Covering the whole spectrum. You're talking I'll about I pick, I, pick, I pick up a shield and the shield is somehow lawful good and, and, it, and it burns my arm. I, yeah, if it's, yeah, limited to lawful good or if the sword is say, lawful or neutral or chaotic, and someone of another alignment tries using it. Well, I know we're not doing it this episode, but we were set up to review a certain uh, certain source book for uh, Labyrinth Lord. Yeah, it'll probably they, be next episode. Well, next episode, tune in next episode because they have a very interesting way of why these things are the way they are. Alignment things and things happen. It all has to do with like people who are like, special 
they, if they have like this, the sword of Mukmuk, who was a lawful good paladin of, of ancients of the ancients, and you find it as an artifact, well, he's had it for so long, some of that will rub off on the object. Well, let me tell you what I don't like. I don't like Any- just arbitrary items and you can't use it. What I do like is, okay, this is a holy scimitar of set that was consecrated and blessed by the evil clerics. You pick it up and it burns your hand. I like that. That's right. I like that too. That's that's what I was getting at, yeah. Oh, so you're talking about as opposed to the DM says, well, you can't use it. Well, what if the rules say you can't use it? Yeah, see, like, that. well, I guess I, I just keep going back to the storytelling thing. What you said is lame. <laughs> what, what I said was lame? No, no, no. There's, I'm sorry. You can't use that sword. It's the wrong alignment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I said was lame. Well, I was thinking, like, what was the class that can't use scrolls? Is that thieves or? No, they can use scrolls. At higher but, levels. Yeah. But so I'm as saying, long as the item has a backstory explaining why you can't use it, then it's okay to do it. Or I like that. The reason. Or do you want an actual effect? Anybody can try to use it. It's just while you're using it, you're going to suffer. Most of the magical items I see that are that way usually have some kind of story with it saying, well, this is what's going to happen if X alignment uses it. This is what's going to happen if Y alignment uses it because of this. I've mm. taken, t- taken some of my recent... That's DM- more just artifacts, though. Use it in regular magic items, too. Oh yeah, but you're saying that come you know any items like that come with a backstory. I said, well, no, not all of them, because generally, at least in original and basic, the only things with backstories are artifacts. I mean, say you have a say you have a a, I just watched Gunga Din. Say you had a Tuggy pick that was carried by the the priest of the Tuggies, and anybody else who touches it who is not their chaotic evil alignment blows up. That's because it was made that way for them to use it. Oh, heck with using it as a weapon. Just put it in their pocket. <laughs> we need to kill this guy. Let's put it I... down in the middle of the floor and oh. wait for him to come pick it up. No. Hey, I dropped something. Could you, uh, my, could, would you mind picking that up for me? Thanks. <laughs> I, I can't remember if it was Dude, a podcast not... or what. I just heard a story where the players I – th- I think it was in the campaign of one of my other co-hosts on the other show. One of their players got a, a cursed necklace that if you put it on, it burned the crap out of you. And they got it back off and uncursed <laughs> and started looping it around opponents' necks. <laughs> Kind of like a garrot, or yeah, just yeah. loop it around and yeah, let yeah, it do its here, speed. Have, have a little curse. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I may not give you the answers, Mike, but I'm giving you great ideas for, for your game. <laughs> well, I mean, so, yeah. In principle, if something has, if if a magic item, I mean, it has to be a magic item to have an alignment, right? And that's yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, have at it. Okay, so you're cool with that, Liz. I do think it's better if. There is a story behind it. I mean, there obviously there doesn't have to be, but I think theoretically it would make more sense if the character was able to find out, you know, hey, every time I try to pick up this sword, it hurts me. And then doing a little bit of research, you find out, you know, oh, well, this sword was forged, you know, by such and such, and it was specifically made to, you know, further the cause of evil or what have you and so therefore you know it will not abide the touch of a good man you know blah 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 (laughs) you know you know who does a good job of that is uh angry monk when he deals in this game yeah yeah Yeah. he does 
And we're not just sucking up. (laughs) Not just. (laughs) Because we should be playing now instead of recording a podcast. No, but I mean, he was describing that shield last game, and we were thinking about who wants to touch that shield because of his visual description of it. (laughs) Yeah. You touch it. No, you touch it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. uh, All right. Well... Well, I want to touch on one more thing before we leave the DM part of it. I was kind of trying to round around to it, but I uh, got lost in my own thought. The difference between, as a DM, using uh, alignment to as a storytelling device and as a player action uh, uh, naughty stick. I mean, Naughty because, stick? Oh, punish them for bad behavior or inappropriate behavior? As a way of keeping uh, rain, tight rain or, or some rain on characters that are... are disrupting the story or disrupting the game i mean we've right. all done that i know and and gary and gary seemed as he wrote additions to shift from okay which side are you on which division are you i mean by the time you got to ad and i think some of those tight assed rules about alignment restrictions were meant to control players and i'm not the biggest fan of that part of it even though i've done it yeah Although it does make me think of something. You said you don't like uh, situations where you just can't use it. Instead, you can use it, but there's a bad effect sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I take it you extend that into other classes, like magic users cannot use swords? If I'm running a D&D and you're playing a magic user, sorry, you don't get swords because that's the way the rules of the game are written. And well, what know. if the what if the wizards in the middle of a fight reaches down and picks up somebody's sword and tries to swing it at somebody? Do you just say they can't do that, or do you give them a chance but with a lot of penalties? Um. Well, yeah, you just with some penalties. Yeah. So they can try. It's just they'll be really sure. bad at it. Sure. Yeah, I tend to f- feel that way myself. Um, it's not like a matter you try to pick up the sword. Oh, I can't move it because I'm a wizard and it's got a force screen around it, keeping me from touching it. Because I'm you, what not you, what, the right class. What are you, the Hulk trying to pick up Thor's hammer? Come on. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. You, yeah. You, you want to throw a magic missile mm-hmm. wearing that suit of magic plate mail? Have at it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> oh wow! It's like I picked up an exploding tuggy pick. Oh, anyway, hate it when that happens. Oh yeah. All right. Well, anything else anyone wants to add on this before we head out? Well, I had a burp, but never mind. Keep that to yourself, Glenn. (laughs) Anyone else? No, no. No? All right. Well, we hope this episode's been of some help with the rather hairy problem of alignments. Oi. And we travel down the dusty road, thinking of alignments and... Various things that people have suggested. And how are we? Walk, how are you walking down the road, Liz? I am walking down the road secure in my five-point alignment system, knowing that all <laughs> those of you who subscribe to the three-point alignment system are completely and totally wrong. <laughs> Jim? Uh, I'm strolling down the road comfortable in my neutral good alignment because that allows me to stay friends with people of all alignments. Even though it's taco. Yes. <laughs> including, including people who don't want to talk about AD&D on a basic right. D&D show. Mm. Because, as we all know, <laughs> it's taco. Yeah. Glenn? 
Well, I am running in front of that chaotic evil tuggy throwing the axes behind me, waiting for people in front of him, behind him to pick him up. <laughs> and here, listening to the explosions as they do. Well, that's a real coincidence because I'm strolling down the dusty road, but I've seen a thuggy pick on the ground. I think I'll pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) Look, nice mushroom cloud, pretty. (laughs) And we might be back for episode 80. Oh, sure. Why not? Why not? (laughs) Because it's time to go, huh? And let we're headed out. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good Good night, everybody. Rearch. The Savor Die Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions. The Savor Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. 9 out of 10 DMs surveyed recommend this podcast for their players who listen to podcasts. Listening to podcasts over four hours in length is not normal, and you should consult a physician or at least a damn good psychiatrist. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. Save or Die.